Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Broadcasting from Resistance Headquarters, relentlessly fighting back against the clown dictator and his regime of deplorables. Never give up, never surrender. This is the Bob Seska Show, presented by BubbleGenius.com. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, July 31, 2019, and this is the interview edition of the Bob Seska Show on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. My guest today is a returning favorite, the great Jackie Schechner from the Stephanie Miller Show and formerly of InvestigateRussia.org. If you're a first-time listener, Jackie's a healthcare and Russia expert and one of my all-time favorite people. Today, we're going to talk about the Mueller testimony, the impact of Russia's social media propaganda on past and future elections, the legitimization of racism and fascism in America, Medicare for all, and so much more. And don't forget, you can support this podcast by subscribing for just $1 a month on our Patreon page. That's bobseskashow.com, or just click the all-caps Patreon link at bobseska.com. All right, let's catch up with the great Jackie Schechner. The first thing I want to talk with you about today uh, relates to both Russia and one of the Democratic candidates last night. Um, And this is something that I I think uh, people are going, "Ah, Bob is going off on this a lot. I I hope he's not going insane or something like that. And I don't think I'm going insane, but maybe you can tell me, am I insane or is Marianne Williamson ripe for being elevated by Russian trolls? In fact, I mean, they they (laughs) might actually already be doing it. Uh, The chaos would be, of course, staggering, and yet Democrats are praising her, totally forgetting all the lessons of 2016 about taking fakers, tourists, and dilettantes too seriously, right? Yeah, I mean, a small little caveat is I've met her. Um, I was at a very small dinner party a few years back where she showed up after dinner, and we just sat around the living room and had a chat. She's a very nice woman. Yeah, I think in this day and age of... Trump and how uh, disturbing it is for everybody the way that he's carrying on that having somebody who preaches love and kindness and elevating uh, kind of to a higher plane (laughs) is refreshing. I get all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think that she needs to be president. (laughs) And so, so um, it's nice that, that she has a platform Um, I think this is probably the end of that run. But yeah, I don't think you're wrong in saying that she's the perfect foil. She reminds me of kind of a Jill Stein spoiler in that regard. Yep. That people want to believe that there's something out there that's different than the status quo. Um, And she is... It's hard because I I know she's a nice person and I I 
believe in the message of kindness and love. And I do think that our system is messed up and needs a reset, but she's not qualified to be president of the United States. And so I think we just have to leave it there Mm -hmm. and say that she's qualified to do exactly what she does and does well. (laughs) That's right. not everybody needs to be president of the United States. Yeah. And so, I mean, yes, she is ripe for that because what the Russian disruptors like to do is create chaos. Yeah. And they like to create a narrative that is going to somehow create a disturbance in the force that is democracy. <laughs> yep. And she allows for them to do that. Mm-hmm. I, I would hope that unlike Jill Stein, uh, that she's smart enough not to go to Moscow and sit at dinner next to Vladimir Putin. Yeah. That she won't buy into that um, that manipulation. But yeah, it does have that feel the morning after that perhaps there is something there that Russian trolls would glom onto. Yeah. I mean, it's possible that I'm being overly paranoid and cautious about this. But, but you just, have to be. Yeah. You have to be because if you thought of it, so did they. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I feel like we've been down this road and we've learned all kinds of lessons throughout the last three, four years about what Russia's interested in, what sorts of people they're attracted to, and and then elevate through their active measures. And it seems like this idea that suddenly, oh, well, she has some interesting ideas, and maybe we can now praise her for those ideas. And that leaves a wide open door for all the things that we witness uh, on a daily basis, which is that oftentimes uh, in a social media world, the freak show gets elevated beyond the legitimate side of things, whether it's legitimate news, legitimate people, and so on. And so it's terrifying me, Jackie, that there were people last night who were saying, hey, she, she, she sounds pretty good. What's wrong with, what's wrong with Marianne Williamson? And I go, no, 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 no. Yeah. This is how we got, we got Trump. And, you know, she may be a really nice person and she may have some interesting ideas, Perhaps doing some TED Talks would be a more appropriate expenditure <laughs> of her time and yeah, our I mean, energy. People, people really enjoy you know, her message and the way that she um, communicates. I, I, I haven't read her books and I don't go to her lectures. I know that she, she does a lot of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm, I'm not going to knock it. I don't think there's anything wrong with what, it, what she does. This is just not her arena. She's just not meant to be president of the United States. Yeah. Very much so someone like Donald Trump is not meant to be president of the United States. And I don't put them in the same category and she's a much better person than he is. She's mm-hmm. a better human being than he is. But I think we need to stop with the amateurs. I mean, I yeah. think at this point we need to get somebody who's committed to public service, who knows how government works, who is willing to listen to experts, who's willing to read. Um, And I don't say she doesn't read, but I'm just saying somebody unlike Donald Trump, somebody who is uh, qualified to serve the highest office in the land. We need a reset on this. And I just, I think enough is enough with the reality TV stars and the the celebrities and the no names. And let's get somebody in there who's committed to public service. Mm -hmm. I just... Um, and again, I mean, I don't want anybody who's listening to this to think that I dislike her in any way. I think she's she's a wonderful person. She, this is just not her arena. Yeah, exactly right. And the same goes, I think, for Andrew Yang, who's going to be on the stage tonight. Uh, again, we have another CEO billionaire who's also yeah. a tourist on the presidential stage. And he's got his Yang gang, which is, I guess, his version of the Bernie bros. And it just seems like man, we're just opening ourselves up for uh, more interference, more attacks. 
Yeah, I mean, the other thing, too, you have to think about with Marianne Williamson um, or Andrew Yang or any of these people is that we need somebody who can beat Donald Trump. Right. Right. That's that's the only thing you need. Democrats are always going to vote for whoever the Democratic candidate is. I think this time around, I'm hoping that people learn their lesson and this, like, I just can't vote for Hillary thing doesn't carry over. Right. Mm-hmm. I hope that no matter who the Democratic nominee is, that people realize that the stakes are too high and they have to vote for the Democrat. They just have to. Yeah. Um, I, I think the question is, then, how do you bring over the independent? vote. I think a lot of that is going to naturally come because, again, it's going to be anybody but Trump, Mm Donald Trump. So I think you've got some of that. You're never going to get his base. You can't worry about those people. And then the question becomes, who's electable against him? And I don't think you just have to have somebody who's got extreme uh, policy knowledge and experience. I think you also have to have someone who's got charisma because what we've learned is that that sells. And it's got to be somebody who can face off against Donald Trump. I mean, there's no guarantee Trump's going to actually debate anybody. I mean, he's, <laughs> right. he's not required by law. I mean, look, he didn't release his tax returns. He's broken the law at every turn. It, there's no law that says he has to engage in a debate. And if he thinks it's somebody he might lose against, he may not debate. But let's let's at least stack the deck uh, in favor of somebody who, if they go up against him on a debate stage, can win and make him look like the fool he is. Mm-hmm. And I think that we need to think about how far charisma goes. You know, Donald Trump and his his associates like to talk about performance, mm-hmm. right? They talked about Robert Mueller's performance. They talked about <laughs> yeah. uh, Radcliffe's re- performance. He talks about he likes the way people perform. Well, that doesn't come in a vacuum. He talks about it because he knows that it carries some weight with the electorate mm-hmm. because these are people that will vote for American Idol but won't vote for president. So he's he's tapping into something there, and I think it's very important for Democrats not to downplay the electability. And I don't mean that in terms of can you elect a woman, can you elect someone too old. I mean electability in terms of the, the wow factor, the, yeah. the celebrity factor, the, the charisma factor, um, because it matters. It's embarrassing that it does, but it does. Absolutely. And you know what? I, I keep thinking about this too, Jackie, that I would love to have a presidential candidate and then a president who just stays the fuck out of our living rooms every damn day, 24 seven. I mean, how wonderful would that be? But the fact of the matter is that, and uh, one of the, I think more concerning aspects of, you know, Trump opening this gigantic hole in the wall is that um, we're going to have to uh, constantly be looking for that charisma factor in our candidates now in order to overcome the, all of the, um, uh, roadblocks in the path toward just getting the vote out. My God. I mean, between voter suppression, gerrymandering, voter ID, Mm -hmm. and now uh, Russia and all of its copycats getting into the game, too. Um, It just seems like the charisma becomes mandatory (laughs) because without the charisma, we can't overcome all those other things. You know, you can have both, though. I mean, you look at someone like not only Obama who had it right. He had the the experience and the knowledge and the public service background Mm -hmm. and the education. Plus he was incredibly charismatic, but you go at Bill Clinton had it. Um, JFK had it. Um, I'm sure we can go even farther back, but that's something that you, you have to look at the coupling of the charisma plus the gravitas to hold the office. And I, I, I think we all have this visceral reaction now. I have it whenever Trump's on screen, whenever I hear his voice. I mean, I just want to, I just want to, 
recoil (laughs) (laughs) because there's, yeah, I want to call my therapist and pour a glass of wine. And, you know, it's not Trump derangement syndrome. It's like this, this visceral reaction to the hate and the violence and the anger and the racism and the sexism and the narcissism and, and just all of the vileness that he brings to us on an hourly basis. Mm -hmm. I would like to get back to a place where I don't have to hear about the president of the United States every moment of every day. Yeah. And I know I'm not alone. So I think that's part of the messaging too. It's it's not just getting rid of Trump. It's like getting rid of what is permeating your day-to-day life in a really horrible, vile way. And I think that we can tap into some of that. I think people are tired of, of having their day-to-day lives um, really upset by the nastiness that's coming out of the White House. I mean, you can't turn on the news because it's inappropriate for kids. Yeah. Uh, it's, that's it's, a really awful thing to have in this country. And I think that there are some people out there who may not be political uh, who who care about the discourse and would like to elevate it. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't know how much and I don't know how many of those people are, are swayed. The problem we're going to have, I think, is that the economy, even though it's not anything that Donald Trump did, the economy happens to be doing well right now because it's on that upward trajectory that it's been on since Obama was in office. So I I think that people are going to have a hard time separating that out. And and that's going to be a challenge of whoever the Democratic nominee is Mm -hmm. to explain to people that this is not going well because of anything that Trump did and that we can continue on this path. But we've got to get rid of him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's going to be a hard sell in that in that regard. And it seems like, too, that the I mean, any president, whether it's Trump or Obama, Obama or William Howard Taft. It doesn't matter. The president should not be in our faces all the time like Donald Trump is. It just should not happen. Absolutely. And, as, and especially when he behaves the way Trump behaves. And, you know, I don't know. It's leeching its way into the minds of just rank and file voters in the United States. I think it's actually the president at any point in time sets a tone for public discussion. And, mm-hmm. and the public discussion right now is so poisonous, so toxic. I mean, I was just I was telling the example on the show yesterday that, um, you know, I brought up uh, the 30th anniversary of the first episode of Seinfeld the other day. Of all things, I just congratulated Jason Alexander and said, happy 30th oh, anniversary no. of the first episode. Did somebody have a problem with that? Oh, my God. Fuck Seinfeld. Fuck every, Fuck that show. Fucking what? hate that show. I mean, the trolls. And then uh, the other day, too, I uh, wish a happy birthday to the lead singer of Rush, Getty Lee, and then the first comment out of the shoot on on uh, Twitter was, oh, that guy sucks. Fuck him. Fuck the band. <laughs> I was just like, what is going on when you can just post just the most innocuous, nothing, and congratulatory thing, the, the most uh, uncontroversial statement in the world, and then suddenly controversy erupts out of that. I mean, where the hell are we? And the only thing I can think of is, everyone's looking to the president to set the tone and he's set this awful, awful tone and it, and it seeps its way into everything. Doesn't it? It does. It does. And I, and I fear too, is that the media is failing us on a huge scale. Yes. And it's problematic when Donald Trump is on his way to wherever he's traveling and he gets out on the lawn and you can't hear the questions from the reporters, Mm -hmm. which I think is by design. Yep. Uh, And then Donald Trump, gives his answer and uh, he picks and chooses what he wants to say and then he walks away and mm. 
he's never held accountable because the networks they don't air it live anymore. I think they most of them turn it around. Yeah. Like they they record it and then they turn it around, but there's no editing to it and there's no fact check in real time. And so he just says what he's going to say and they put it on television uh, and then he, they move on. And it's it's not that they don't say that he's wrong and, and they're not doing fact checking after the fact, but once the words are out there, they're out there. And the way that they're covering him is just to shove a microphone in his face and let him say whatever he wants yeah. or he puts out on Twitter whatever he wants and we elevate it. And I, I just wonder, I mean, I think that there's been this kind of quiet movement and suggestion, and I, I know that the networks will say we can't do that because he's president of the United States, but if you didn't cover everything he said and everything that he put out on Twitter, what would happen? Yeah. Probably nothing, yeah. because nothing he says or nothing he puts out on Twitter actually means anything. <laughs> he's, he's not following through on any of the threats or demands he makes. No, not yet, at least. No, and so it's just out there, mm -hmm. right? None of it means anything. I mean, I'm. You watch this, and like, look, we knew he was racist before he ever ran for president. Like, we knew he was racist when he was sued for housing discrimination. Oh yeah, Central Park we, we Five. We knew he yeah. was racist. Yeah, we knew he was racist when he took out a full page ad against the Central Park Five. Like, mm -hmm. this is not a secret that this man is a racist. So now he's just continuing to be racist yeah I, I just and now the networks are like is he racist right, like, right. it's not a question you well, knew this exactly let's I, move on and i feel like if they're going to go down that road if they're and which is i think it, it, legitimate i mean it's legitimate to call him a racist yeah but I then just, go like, to republican lawmakers and say how do you support a racist president not absolutely. do you think the president is racist that's right because the answer to that's going to be no i don't think he's racist so you have to come from the position of here is what we know because it's factual yeah. Right. We have all the evidence in the world to prove that this man is a racist. So go to the Republicans in Congress and say, President Trump is a racist. Do you support his racism? Mm -hmm. And they'll be like, no, 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 he's not racist. Well, no, all the evidence points to the fact that he is a racist human being. Yeah. Yeah. How I can you support a racist? Like the questions they're asking are wrong. The framing is wrong. Yeah. How they're approaching him is wrong. They're, they're giving him the benefit of the doubt when there is should be no doubt. I feel like, too, Jackie, that there needs to be more explanation as to why the president uh, being racist is a bad thing. And it's weird to say that, but as we move further and further in time away from segregation and Jim Crow and slavery and the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act in the 60s and so on, as we move away from that and older generations start to die off, the people who actually experienced the actual real world repercussions of racism and certainly we see it uh in videos of police officers these days and we see it uh in examples online all the time but i, I just i feel like maybe the press needs to also explain to those who don't fully understand why it's bad to be racist why it's bad to be racist why it's bad for especially the president to be uh, to be racist and we're not that's actually a very very good point yeah. is that there are there's a whole generation removed at this point from the history of racism in this country. Yeah. And I do think that uh, we lose we lose some context. Yeah. As we move down, I think you're right. I think I think there's a whole younger generation that needs to understand the, what what is behind this word, these mm -hmm. words and what this means and what it recalls, right? Like if you're tapping in to this neo-Nazi white supremacist racist rhetoric like that brings up a whole bunch of evil angry mm -hmm. um turmoil that this country has already suffered through and we've been trying to 
to to recover from it for decades now. Um, I think you're right. I think that there has to be a historical context to why this is so evil. Yeah. Well, we're also seeing that with the rise of people who support fascism, for example, uh, white supremacy and so on, um, where we're seeing fewer and fewer people now who actually lived and and experienced the Holocaust. So therefore, the idea of Nazi style fascism is becoming uh, more fashionable again in places like 4chan and some Reddit threads and and so on. Uh, they seem to be attracted to this idea that maybe democracy is failing and we need to try fascism out again and uh, and go down that road. And obviously a lot of Donald Trump supporters believe these sorts of things. And it's a consequence of time rolling on and people who experience uh, the rise of Adolf Hitler and European Nazism. Uh, they're just no longer with us anymore. And so younger generations... Well, it's also generations, a lack of education. Yeah, it's yeah. also a, a, a disinterest in historical context mm-hmm. or knowing or knowing history or studying history. I mean, I, and maybe it's because I was raised Jewish, um, but I learned a lot about World War II and the Holocaust and never forget. And sure. it's always been a, a, a touch point with me. Um, and I, I look at people who say that it's too far to compare what's happening now with the rise of Nazism in Germany, but you can't compare how Nazism ended, how, how the Holocaust ended. What we're talking about is how it got started. Yeah. And if you if you compare how it got started with what we're experiencing now, um, with those who are advocating what what Trump's advocating, it's very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, and you look at something like putting in Attorney General Bill Barr, uh, who's willing to do the bidding of the president and not stand up for the American people as the head of the Department of Justice. And then you look at the potential of politicizing the director of national intelligence. It's consolidating power the same way that Hitler did. Yep. And it's it's just the beginning of that, right? You don't who's gonna speak truth to power when everybody's kissing up to it? Like there's nobody who's willing. The people who are willing to tell the president he's wrong are are, are summarily released. Yeah. And he's he's not interested in in hearing the truth. He's not interested in hearing a counterpoint. He's not interested in being informed or educated. He's interested in lackeys and yes men. <laughs> and that's exactly how fascism thrives. That's right. That's exactly how we get to an authoritarian state where there's nobody left to say no. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. And, and we're creeping towards it. And I think that if you bury your head in the sand and say it can't happen again or it's not happening, you're lying to yourself. And, you know, you um, have experience working in cable news. Um, and going back to the original sort of kickoff point of this racism, fascism section of the conversation, sure. you were talking about the press and, and how um, they are contributing to the, the, the phenomenon of Trumpism in, in a certain yep. way. Uh, do you get the sense that the Republican slash Chuck Todd optics thing from last week during and after the Mueller testimony oh. uh, is actually working? Or was that all a, just a big fat dud? Is that uh, j- just a, a thing that popped up and then just went away? Or is this going to be an ongoing problem that we're actually going to be having to deal with this? Well, they put the narrative out there and they give Trump stuff to talk about. Yeah. I mean, he talks about, says everybody online says it was a failure. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mueller was a failure. He, he did a terrible job. Yeah, I, I saw, I turned on Fox a day or two after the Mueller hearing just out of curiosity. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about how one of the contributors uh, was talking about how they think Mueller has early onset dementia. And <sighs> I, I mean, I, I look and I say, okay, first of all, you're, you're, 
uh, Rachel Campos, who was on The Real World, or what was she on? Road Rules or one of those shows, right? Yeah. So she's really not all that qualified. Um, but she's married to D- Sean Duffy, who was also on an MTV reality show. So right. there you go. Um, but, you know, but her qualification is, is as a doctor, is that. Um, yeah. You know, but they, that, that's the narrative, right? And it's a, an echo chamber of propaganda between the White House and Fox News. And there's a, a heck of a lot of people who watch Fox News who believe whatever it is they say. Mm-hmm. So they say that not only are they worried about the fact that he appeared to to not be all together with it, but this is the man who led the investigation. So how credible could the investigation be? I mean, these are the talking points that they're perpetuating. And if someone like Chuck Todd, for example, who again, like another disclaimer, as I worked with Chuck Todd, Chuck Todd a long time ago, um, and and liked him, I, I don't like the way that he's conducting himself these days. Um, but as as a person, I you know I, I always had positive experiences with him. Um, I, I don't appreciate how they throw this these talking points out into the ether without any consideration as to what damage they can do. And I think if you talk about the optics, the optics, the optics, and you don't talk about the substance of what we heard in that hearing, you're helping the, co- the Republican cause, which is to try to discredit not only the intelligence community, but to downplay the significance and the national security cre- threat of Russia attacking us, continuing to attack us, and the President of the United States continuing to deny it even happened. Yeah, just so incredibly frustrating to have that sort of event occur where it was two different committees, uh, two different series of questions, um, major, major revelations to come out of it, even though some of his answers or many of his answers were just yes or no answers. We still had colossal re- revelations coming out of those uh those hearings last week and to yeah, i mean apparently he said to the to the committee chair that he wasn't going to read from his report yeah that would have been good to know beforehand because then oftentimes they were say you know like can you read for us and he said i'm not going to do that and mm. it it looked like he was being defiant but he had let them know beforehand that he wasn't going to do that so that yeah. that just would have been good knowledge to know like he's He's, you know, declined the opportunity to read directly from his report, so we'll just be asking him questions about it, and there have been parameters. I mean, just some of the parameters would have been good to know, so then the expectations would have been framed beforehand, and we then would have known what to expect a little bit better. I mean, mm-hmm. I think the expectation was that he was going to speak out a little bit more than he did, or he was going to be more forceful. Um, so I think that lent to the optics argument, is that I don't I don't think anybody really knew what to expect. Yeah. And so the expectations were a little higher than they probably should have been. Um, but I think that if you look at the substance of what came out, I mean, he turned around and, and said, no, you know, I didn't exonerate the president. No, I, I did not find evidence of no obstruction. No, I didn't find evidence of no collusion. And and still the president went out and claimed no collusion, no obstruction, complete exoneration. And the needle didn't move in either direction. And that's that's frustrating. And so yeah. there, somewhere along the way, the message got lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, you know, certainly there's a conversation to be had about uh, you know the fact that Robert Mueller was not as sharp as everyone was thinking he was going to be, and whether or not some of the, some of the other prosecutors, maybe his attorney, and negotiations with uh, with Jerry Nadler and Adam Schiff, that yeah. maybe that should have been revealed at some point. So yeah. perhaps you know, may, maybe he wouldn't have embarrassed him. So there were a couple of occasions where he contradicted some of the things that were in his own report. Um, right. And so, you know, maybe that could have been a matter of discussion prior to holding the hearings. And maybe this is something that we could eventually talk about and discuss just as a matter mm-hmm. of history and uh, right. analyzing the overall story of the Mueller report. But uh, to, to turn it into, oh, my God, he just had yes 
yes or no answers. This is a disaster for the Democrats. Just smacks yeah. to me of that old script going back to like 2008. Oh, this is great news for John McCain. That right. kind of attitude going into no matter what story it is, always framing it as bad news for the Democrats, good news for the Republicans. It's just so utterly insufferable. But I mean, well, let's take the debate, for example. Yeah. Right? Let's use this because obviously this is the most timely right now. Let's use this as an example. So all of the chatter going into the debate was the big divide between the progressives and the conservatives or the moderates. Yeah. Right. There's this huge divide and it's going to be Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders against the rest of the pack. And mm -hmm. and how is this going to play out? Right. And then I watched the debate last night and then afterwards it was, oh, there's a big divide between that. Like, yeah, not so much. Like, first of all, everybody was pretty nice to each other. Um, these are good, kind people who genuinely seem to like each other. They're all on the same side. They all want to make life better for Americans. They're all interested in elevating the discourse. And basically, they're all a thousand times better people than Donald Trump. Yeah. And what? <laughs> no doubt. Right. And so what the media should be talking about is how nice it was that everybody got along, that they have some small policy differences, but generally, I mean, they have differences on how they'll get to where they want to go, mm -hmm. but generally they all want people to have an education. They want people to have a living wage. They want people to have safe communities. They want people to have access to affordable health care. Like these are all of the things, and they all have plans or at least, you know, are, are, are generally interested in creating plans to get there um, versus Trump. And yeah. that should be that should be the narrative mm -hmm. is that, you know, we're talking about whether we want Medicare for all or we want to reintroduce the public option versus a guy who says you're going to have the greatest health care ever. It's going to be better than anything you've ever seen. And it's going to be cheaper and it's going to be great. I mean, did you get the sense that the uh, the Don Lemon and uh, the rest of them were trying to steer the Democrats toward oncoming traffic? I, I kind of uh -huh. got the feeling that yeah. the questions were set up to, to deliberately, you know, kind of tee it up for uh, Republican criticism. Like, OK, let's see if the the best way we can get the Democrats to admit to something that the Republicans will just spend the next next year and a half demonizing. I really oh, my God. Got that if I feeling. were a Republican operative, yeah. I could I could pick, you know, a dozen. Uh, ad nuggets from last night. I mean, there were, yeah. I, I, John Delaney did half the work for them. I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. it, 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 you don't, you don't demonize, you don't, you don't give Republicans talking points to go against something that you're trying to accomplish. Right. Like it, was, it was terrible strategy. Mm -hmm. And I think that somebody needed to reiterate, like we have differences on how we want to get there, but the bottom line is we all want to improve on our healthcare system and we have substantive ways to get there. Yeah. How we get there, we can, once we have a Democrat in office, we can have all the conversation in the world on the best way to get there. We can get, po I mean, this is what I would say is mm -hmm. you, you get policy experts in the room, you get healthcare experts in the room, you get doctors, you get hospitals. Let's get everybody in the room the smartest people we know who are in the field to sit around and talk about the best way to do this to figure it out with economists like let's put some serious effort into it because we need to fix this once and for all and trying to jam it through congress one way or the other isn't going to work so let's really get a consensus on the best way to do this for all the stakeholders involved and but but the point is we we have an intention to do that we proved it in the last time a democrat was in office yeah. and we'll prove it again but donald trump who's now been in office you know, for a couple of years or three, I don't even know how long it's been now. It feels like forever. Um, you know, is, is, is done nothing. Yeah. He's done nothing. And even if he repealed the affordable care act, he's got nothing to replace it with. Mm -hmm. So, 
you, you have to draw that distinction as opposed to trying to nitpick the differentiations between the candidates who are all heading in the same direction. They're all driving different cars, but they're all heading in the same direction. <laughs> yeah, and this is a great uh, sideline that we've taken here into healthcare because I had a bunch of questions lined up for uh, for you regarding healthcare anyway, because oh, this sure. is one of the many areas that we really overlap on as far as uh, the sorts of things that we follow and the things that we cover. Mm-hmm. And and so I've got a gazillion questions about healthcare. And I'll answer some as many of, as I can. Yeah, related to last night and some of the just general general questions. But um, I feel like the Democratic candidates, and this this is one of the criticisms I had of Barack Obama for many, many years, me being a card-carrying Obama bot. Uh, you know, I do <laughs> do have criticisms of Barack Obama. So do I. I was a, I was a fan, but I do yeah, too, sure. Yeah, I mean, irrespective of what I've been accused of, the fact is that I don't think uh, Barack Obama did a, a well enough job, and, and neither are the uh, Democrats on the presidential stage uh, in these debate stages, making a case for the Affordable Care Act's other... Uh, uh, consumer protections and caps on on out-of-pocket spending and all of these things that benefit regular Americans that Mm -hmm. no one seems to want to bring up. It it never comes up. I mean, there are, you know, there's at least a couple of dozen, like, big ticket items in the Affordable Mm -hmm. Care Act that really protect healthcare consumers. And and all we hear about is pre-existing conditions, which we know, we both know, Jackie, that you can easily cover people with pre-existing conditions, but the coverage is going to suck the suckiest suck of all sucks. And that's, and that's the sort of thing you talk about when the affordable care act was, uh, was passed and there were about 3 million people who lost their insurance, despite what Barack Obama said about being able to keep your doctor. And and the reason that those insurance policies were canceled is they because, they, yes, because they sucked. They didn't they live terrible. up to the regulations in the Affordable Care Act, which actually do protect people. So I feel like, and I, I, again, I don't know if this is just something that I'm obsessing about, but is this... Is this a real thing? I mean, should these candidates, should our Democratic leaders be making a stronger case for the other stuff that's in the Affordable Care Act? Yeah, I mean, there's some real messaging problems that have gone on. First of all, the whole use of the word Obamacare is problematic. Mm -hmm. I I sound like a broken record. I say it all the time. I I watched Joe Biden put out a video where he called it Obamacare. Pull my my hair out. It's the Affordable Care Act. Obamacare was the name the Republicans gave the Affordable Care Act because they wanted to demonize it because Mm. there was a black man in the White House and it upset people and they decided that if they named the Affordable Care Act after Obama, people would just automatically dislike it. Mm -hmm. So let's not mince words on that. That's exactly what happened. And then the Democrats, for some strange reason, decided that they were going to embrace it and you know obama cares i'm like that's a really dumb messaging strategy because it's already been demonized and nobody wants something that sounds like a giant bureaucratic program and that's what obamacare sounds like yeah but it's not a thing it's a nickname for the affordable care act and if we talk about the affordable care act we then can talk about all of the really good things it did for people like allowing people with pre-existing conditions to get access to affordable health insurance which Mm -hmm. then gives them access to affordable health care coverage um the uh, allowing kids to stay on their or young adults to stay on their parents' plan until they're 26 was for the Affordable Care Act. Yeah. Um, there are a whole slew of really good things in there um, that came because the Affordable Care Act got passed. And um, you're right, we don't talk about them enough. Yeah. Um, I think there's a there's a couple of things that that are kind of driving me batty right now with this whole discussion about Medicare for all or a public option. Yes. Anybody anybody who's advocating. Okay. First of all, let me back up. 
when I came to the healthcare fight, it was because I personally was working as a freelancer in New York and um, I had a panic attack about a month after September 11th and ended up in the hospital and didn't know what it was and ended up $4,000 in debt overnight because I didn't have health insurance. And I realized that, and I didn't have health insurance because I was a freelancer and I didn't have a job that gave me health insurance and I couldn't afford it on the open market. Because uh, I was a freelancer, <laughs> right? So it's a catch twenty two. Mm-hmm. And the whole thought process, eventually, after I left TV and wanted to work in advocacy, was if it's so hard for me to find access to affordable health insurance and health care, it's got to be really hard for other people too. Mm-hmm. So let me research who's working on this and how I can get involved. So there was a personal impetus for me to get involved in this fight, and I didn't know much about single payer, and I didn't like the idea of like a government run health care program, and all of the single payer advocates who got upset with me when I worked for Healthcare for America Now, which was advocating for a mix of public and private were upset because they said, why go to the negotiating table starting from the middle? Why not go from the far left and then negotiate your way to the middle if you have to? And my argument back was because single payer is a non-starter because you're not even going to get people to the negotiating table if you start with single payer. Exactly. Uh, we're now 10 years down the road from that, and I believe wholeheartedly that having a single-payer healthcare system is the way to go because it's what other industrialized nations have. It is a system that you can layer private insurance on top of it, but I think giving people access to healthcare is a basic right, mm-hmm. and I think it takes a lot of stress off of people. You lose your job. You then don't also have to worry about getting sick and going bankrupt, that you, you no matter what, have access to healthcare. And I think that if you raise taxes, um, especially on, on the top percentage, uh, in order to help pay for a universal health care program, um, you have to bring in the narrative that your overall cost, people's overall costs will go down. Yeah. Right. So that it's a trade off that mm-hmm. you're not going to be paying health insurance premiums. You're not going to be paying out of pocket costs. You're not like you're, you're there. There may be a slight increase in, in what you pay in taxes, but it goes towards this. And what it goes towards is eliminating the thousands and thousands of dollars you're going to pay when inevitably you get hurt or sick, which is what's going to happen to every single one of us at some point in our lives. Mm-hmm. So there there is a good case to be made for that. The other side of it, and I, I can go on forever about this, so please stop me if you have questions. <laughs> go, go, the go. Other si- no, the other side of it, too, is that people are skeptical of something they don't understand and they don't know and they don't want to lose what they know, even though it sucks, mm-hmm. right? People people have health insurance. Um, many of them get it through their job. It's a decent enough plan, um, and they are happy with it until they have to use it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they don't, they don't want to get thrown into what they think is like a government bucket program. That's not what's going to happen. But if, if the Democrats are going to make progress on healthcare reform, they're going to have to do some real detailed explaining as to what it means and how it's going to impact people. And people are going to have to believe them. Mm-hmm. And I think after the whole Obama, you get to keep your doctor, people are going to be very skeptical of promises being kept. Yeah. And so there's a, there's a steep climb there. Um, and there's a lot of work that needs to be done. I think it's disingenuous for people who are coming out in support of the public option uh, to not turn around and explain how they're going to be able to do what Obama couldn't get done. Mm-hmm. And I and I think that's a very important question that needs to be asked down the line. Not now, because we don't need to get into the nitpicky details right now. Yeah. But down the line, I think if you're going to advocate putting a public option in the mix, how do you think you're going to pass that through Congress? Because it was something that Obama campaigned on heavily right before the election, And it was something that he was unable to get done because ultimately 
congressional passage required that he sacrifice it. Yeah. And he did. And I think that people need to keep that in mind is that you can want everything you want, but ultimately it's got to get through Congress. Mm-hmm. I just got to have a plan. I, I, I feel like Medicare for all is sellable. I think you can actually pass a public option, call it Medicare for all, um, or even Pete Medica- Buttig- I like Medicare for all who want it. Exactly. I, like I was just going to say Pete Buttigieg, who's got the best plan of all of them, uh, which is Medicare for all who want it. And I feel like the idea of of banning private insurance in that in the process of creating that public Medicare for all plan is going to actually turn out to be a poison pill in the uh, in the sure. activity of actually trying to get that passed. It seems to me as if, while maybe that's a good idea in policy, pro- maybe not the best idea when it comes to the politics of this, for the exact reasons you were just talking about with regard to the public option. Because the public right. option was a hard enough sell. And now that we're... Um, we're and it got not- sold out. Yeah, exactly. It got sold out. Exactly. It was very popular and it got sold out. Right, and now we're nine years beyond that. And I think there's more momentum now for a public option, Medicare for all, whatever you want to call it. But there's not the momentum. There's not the popular support for just saying, all right, all of you people who have private insurance, you're not going to have that anymore. And we're going to stick you on this other thing that you may or may not like. Seems to me as if the hair on fire panic attacks would completely and utterly uh, derail any effort to create Medicare for all, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, create a baseline. Do what they do in Spain or do what they do, you know, in Australia and some of the other countries or France yeah. where it works, right? You know, you, you have the a- option of, of taking on this public option. That's why they call it an option, right? Yeah. Um, you have you have the choice of, of buying into this or, or having access to it. And then if you've got money and you want to spend your money on a supplemental plan that's going to give you more, then more power to you. Mm-hmm. But, but let's give everybody access to basic health care so people don't end up in the emergency room with much more dire health conditions and much more expensive, uh, that require much more expensive treatment because they can't go see a doctor because they can't afford it. Like we can keep the, it's a, it's a public health process too, right? Like we can keep our population healthier mm-hmm. if, if people have access to go see a doctor for even the smallest of things uh, before they escalate and become pricier and, and more detrimental to people's health in general. Um, it, it's a larger conversation that needs to be taken out of politics. I don't think politicians know the best way to solve the healthcare crisis. Oh, no in this way. They're the worst yeah, no. at talking about this. Right. Yeah. And I think, look, I think private health insurance companies are evil. I think a for profit healthcare system is cruel. Yep. I think that it's one of those things that we shouldn't be making money on. Yes, I think doctors and hospitals need to get paid for the work that they do, but I don't think we need the insurance middleman. I think that we need to talk about what things actually cost which is why Medicare is more cost efficient. Um, I think I need, we need to, to figure out where the cost savings are in our healthcare system and we need to implement them. And we're not talking about rationing care. We're just talking about not charging exorbitant fees for things. I mean, I can, I can have a baby delivered in one hospital and then a mile down the road have a baby delivered in another hospital and there's a cost differential that's insane. <laughs> So let's figure out what these things actually cost, what everybody needs to get paid, and let's charge that. And let's not spend billions of dollars on advertising. Let's not spend billions of dollars on uh, compensation to uh, executives. Let's let's put the money towards actual health care. Let's reinvest uh, in our healthcare system and, and take this out of, it doesn't have to be profit driven. Right. I mean, it's just, to me, that's, that's, 
that's the part where we get into real trouble. And mm. so we need to have this conversation, but let's do it with economists and healthcare experts and doctors and nurses and patient advocates. And sure, like even private insurance companies, if they want to stay in business, they're going to have to change their business model. Like involve them in the conversation, but explain to them that, that they're not going to con- be able to continue to do business as usual. But again, and I, I just want to back it up to like a, a, you know, a high level view. This is all happening in, in the Democratic camp. Yeah. Right. There's no conversation like this that's happening on the Republican side. There's so if you want to fix your health care or change your health care system, sticking with Trump isn't going to do it for you. He has <laughs> no interest. He thinks health insurance is life insurance. He has no idea how any of this works. Nope. He talks. He likes to brag about getting rid of the individual mandate, but he doesn't understand that the individual mandate is the one thing that freed the insurance companies up to cover people with pre-existing conditions. Yeah. Like I- he doesn't understand how it's all connected, and he doesn't care. Is he going to succeed in getting the courts to overturn the ACA? I mean, you, you know, he's just he's, he's not defending it in court anymore. It's just going to it's somehow I think I want to say some states are now involved with defending the Affordable Care Act, but the federal government is no longer defending it. I mean, is, is he going to get away with this? I don't know. It's so hard to keep track of what he's doing in terms of stacking the courts. He's getting yeah. so many federal judges confirmed at this point. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I don't know where this train stops. I don't know, you know, how many stations it has to destroy as it barrels through. It, it's just tough to tell where it's going to end. I, I, I think that we... I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm a huge advocate at this point for starting impeachment proceedings. <laughs> yeah, me too. I want to. I want to put a stop to the madness. I think that you start opening this stuff up for hearings on a on a on a public stage, and we start to dig into some of the stuff that you and I already know, but the general population isn't necessarily paying attention to. Mm-hmm. I think we we tend to get uh, we tend to forget that when you're really into politics. Uh, you forget that everybody else isn't <laughs> yeah. and um, and they don't know half the stuff that you know because you're paying attention and they've got other things to worry about. Um, so I, I, I think that the more we get the information that we have out there in the public sphere, um, the better off we are. Yeah. And the more we sit back, the more Trump gets away with. And that includes dismantling the Affordable Care Act. I mean, yeah. we're in real danger here. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about Americans. He doesn't care about Americans' health. He doesn't care about uh, he doesn't care about uh, African Americans. He doesn't care about women's rights. Like none of this matters to him. He cares about making money, and he cares about being on television, and he cares about maybe his daughter. Yeah. Uh, and he cares about uh, dictators liking him, <laughs> but he doesn't like the rest of it doesn't matter to him. So he, he doesn't study. He doesn't learn. He doesn't pay attention that he doesn't make any decisions that do anything to benefit this country. I mean, it's it's really tragic. And I think we're at a point now where we have to stop it any way possible. And we can't wait till 2020. Yeah. And the, the entire Republican mantra now is no longer policy based. I mean, Republicans don't care about policy anymore. Oh, well, they do insofar as if it fits into their let's own the libs. Uh, yeah. philosophy now, yeah. which is the driving force behind not only Trumpism, but the broader Republican Party. You know, it kind of has been for a while where, you know, it's whatever happens that irritates the Democrats, we're for that. It doesn't matter how inconsistent it is or how ridiculous it sounds. As long as Democrats are rending their garments and tearing their hair out, well, we're happy. <laughs> you know, and it's just the, half of the political conversation is being driven by that. No wonder everything is so screwed up 
Europe right now. Which is insane. Yeah, like, when yeah. did partisanship, and Buttigieg was right last night. Like, at some point, history's going to remember you as the people who put party over country. Yeah. Yeah. And and this is not going to end well. I mean, either way, like either Trump continues and it doesn't end well or Trump is removed and history is going to remember these guys in a, in a very appropriate yet negative way. I mean, it's not going to end well for them. No, no. And in fact, you know, the, I was so relieved to see that the Moscow Mitch thing is sticking. But is is Mitch McConnell's strategy on this? I mean, blocking these election security laws is this actually working for him, or is this is this actually going to damage uh, uh, Mitch McConnell in the long run? Because I, I, I think there's there's more damage to be had here than I think most people are seeing. Oh yeah, I mean, I just don't know what sticks anymore. Yeah. that's the problem. I don't I don't know how that damages him. I mean, he needs he needs a challenger who can beat him, and he needs to be removed from office. Mm-hmm. I mean, I. I don't I don't know. I mean I, I wish I could say like in a normal a normal political cycle these things would be damaging, but Trump gets away with everything. Yeah. So and nothing seems to be damaging him. So Mitch is Mitch McConnell's the same. Look at Lindsey Graham. Mm. I mean it's you know, these these Rand Paul. I mean it's like unless somebody Devin Nunes, I mean, to take these guys out, you know, let's let's find people who can get them out of office yeah. because they're doing real damage to this country and they don't seem to care. One thing I was thinking about last night, too, Jackie, and I, I in fact, I, I made a note for myself to ask you about this today. Um, why doesn't and this goes back to our cable news discussion, goes back to our uh, D- Democratic uh, presidential candidates discussion and also a little bit of, uh, of Russia here. Why won't cable news or even the Democratic presidential candidates acknowledge that the, um, the, you know, the Obama voters who switched to Trump voters were actually influenced by Russia, perhaps significantly? I mean, am I crazy to kind of think about it in those terms? It seems to me as if Russia had a greater hand in that phenomenon of all of these Obama voters switching to Trump in 2016 mysteriously. Uh, is that uh, is that a red herring or is that a real thing? No, I think it's challenging because people don't want to admit that they've been fooled. Yeah. People don't want to admit that they were misinformed or that they cast their vote based on misinformation. Nobody yeah, victory, wants to ad- victory for Russia on that. Because that, I mean, yeah, that- nobody wants to admit it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one thing when you're tricked. It's another to admit that you've been tricked. Mm-hmm. And I think that then it becomes problematic for people. You know, I, I heard, heard it a lot when this, this news first came out. It's like, well, I wasn't influenced by Russia. Like, <laughs> you know, and then they'd be like, well, I wasn't, I wasn't influenced. But, you know, Hillary was really sick. And, you know, she had all those email problems. It's like, well, all that, all that was the Russian propaganda. Mm-hmm. And, and so people, people don't put two and two together. They think they just hated Hillary because they hated Hillary. They don't realize that all of the stuff they were reading online about Hillary that caused them to dislike her so much came from Russian propaganda. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think we have a real challenge because there's been nothing done to deter it. I think Trump is more than happy to welcome it. I think Mitch McConnell is aiding and abetting. Um, I, I think anyone on the Republican side, whether it's the House or the Senate, uh, who is attacking the FBI and the DOJ and screaming to investigate the investigators is doing Russia's bidding. And I don't know how we got to be a country where the party that claims to be for law and order and pro-law enforcement is perfectly okay attacking the highest law enforcement apparatus in our country. Mm-hmm. These are people who spent their lives committed to public service, who believe in this nation, who want to protect it, and they're being attacked for doing their jobs. Yeah. When, when did that become okay? 
<laughs> right, right. It just seems to me as if everyone's desperately looking for this X factor. It's like, why did these people switch their votes from Obama to Donald Trump? What happened in some of these districts where that occurred? And we've had, you know, everyone from uh, reporters from your former network, CNN, and, and, uh, and people uh, from the New York Times, Washington Post, camping out in some of these districts to try to uncover and study in the wild why these people voted the way they did. And it seems like the X factor is actually staring us right in the face. It's not some sort of weird glitch in how people align with which party or which candidate. The X factor is the social media campaign. It's the the propaganda that just, and I, I, th- I still think we're underestimating the pervasiveness of all of it um, from the number of uh, states or whether or not uh, Russia was able to get into voter rolls or whatever, state by state, or, you know, the influence that the social media campaign had, which is really difficult to chart scientifically. But it seems to me as if it's kind of obvious that, yeah, if you really need to know why so many people voted for this maniac. (laughs) I think we look no further than the thousands and thousands and thousands of trolls who were camped out on Facebook for a good year and a half, right? Yeah, I mean, that's got to be the only explanation because if you look at it and you say, okay, uh, there are people who say, you know, I just couldn't bring myself to vote for Hillary Clinton, right? I just couldn't bring Yeah. Why? I mean, I I wasn't a huge fan. I mean, I think she would have been incredibly qualified, but I do think she came with a lot of baggage. Um, And I I do think that was problematic. Like, I do think in some ways, even though she was very, very qualified, Mm -hmm. um, there were some problems. Um, But people who who despised her so much that they were willing to vote for Donald Trump instead of voting for her, like anybody but Clinton. Like that, that's a little extreme. Like, did she kill your dog? Like, like, why do you hate her so much, right? That, That to me seems a little over the top. And so you have to wonder what it is that pushed people to that limit. And then the other side of it too is that we knew who Donald Trump was before the election. Like he didn't just become horrible. He was mm-hmm. horrible through the election. Oh, he was yeah. horrible when he said women should be punished for having an abortion and he said that John McCain wasn't a war hero and he attacked a gold star family and he said he would grab women by their private parts and like all of this stuff came out before the election. So you disliked Hillary Clinton so much that that stuff was okay and that didn't bother you? Like mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't resonate. So some Somewhere along the way, something got into your brain that said that this horrible human being, this disgusting, horrible, misogynistic, sexist, racist human being is a better pick for president than Hillary Clinton because you don't have you have an icky feeling about her, but you can't put your finger on it Mm -hmm. or you don't want another. I don't know what it was. And so it, it doesn't it doesn't make sense unless there was like this coordinated day-to-day like pounding on social media that eventually just seeped into people's psyche and gave them this this feeling Mm -hmm. because it doesn't it logically doesn't make any sense well those of us who use social media on a daily basis and i've got admittedly i've got my face pressed up against twitter almost 24 7 i don't have it on when i'm sleeping of course but if i could i would try Um, you you know so i mean we all know how this shit can manifest itself, how the 
tiniest kernel of bullshit can suddenly erupt into a giant sequoia of awfulness. And and that's one of the reasons why I'm concerned about some of the praise of uh, Marianne Williamson last night coming full circle at the beginning of our conversation, all the way to um, the propaganda that's going to be unleashed against the eventual nominee anyway. That this stuff really flies around the world a bunch of times before the truth gets its pants on. And, and so it's obvious to me when I see it start to happen you can smell it coming down main mm-hmm. street and yeah. uh it just it's it seems like we're ill prepared once again and i'm not just talking about the nsa being ready and the whoever the next dni is going to be this guy uh john oh, john mitchell radcliffe? i forget this is name. i don't remember his radcliffe? name yeah about? radcliffe the yes the guy who looks like michael scott from the office yes exactly um, exactly right yeah yeah the evil yeah, michael the one who's scott totally yeah the one who's totally unqualified for the position that guy right the guy right. who's a total partisan hack that guy? <laughs> yes that, that guy now my memory is fully refreshed now jackie thank you but uh, the fact <laughs> is that uh, that they're not doing uh, as much as they could, certainly because their commander-in-chief is not Radcliffe, doing anything. Radcliffe thinks there was a, a coup. Yeah. Radcliffe thinks that there was a, an internal coup to, to overthrow the president, that he has no interest in... The president's totally innocent, and he didn't do anything to coordinate with Russia, and mm-hmm. Russia didn't help him. I mean, you're, you're going to direct... Your director of national intelligence is a con, another conspiracy theorist. Yeah, yeah. It just, it and se- a loyalist, a Trump loyalist. It just seems to me that there's a lot that we can do as citizens to protect ourselves, which we're not doing. We're just falling into the same bear traps all over again. And this is one of the points, one of the many points of, of frustration as, a, as we all observe social media, which is just that... There are some things that once the horse is out of the gate, you just can't stop it. You can't just shove it back into the tube again. It just doesn't work. And I'm that's not why. driven to drink. You're driven to drink. Yeah, no. I... <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. So uh, I, I guess let me ask you this um, as, as kind of a wrap up question. Sure. As a percentage, um, I'm going to ask you to make a prediction, Jackie. I hope you're okay oh, with that. God. What, yeah, are, that was... what are the chances that this impeachment investigation leads to articles passed on the House floor? I mean, are we going to get this through? Are we going to see this through the House uh, and, and land it on uh, Mitch McConnell's lap? Or what's going to happen here? I mean, I don't have any doubt that once they start impeachment proceedings in the House, that they will make their way through the House and they'll, you'll get articles of impeachment and he can be impeached in the House. The problem is they'll get to the Senate and they'll, they'll, they won't do anything, yeah. right? They'll, they'll, they'll find him innocent or of whatever course. they need to do procedurally. Like, it's never gonna, it, he's never going to be in, impeached in the Senate. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it can move through the House. My, my hope is that they continue digging into this finances, that they continue digging into the malfeasance, that they continue to bring the stuff to light. The problem is that that it all gets overshadowed. Um, and there's so many juicy tidbits that come out day to day about all of the things that Trump's done, but he goes out and screams, you know, Elijah Cummings and Baltimore is crap. And then the media goes squirrel and runs in that direction. Yep. So you're, you're missing all of the big stories that are coming out about, you know, where Donald Tom Barrick sent Trump's speech, to the UAE for the oh UAE to God. weigh in on his speech. Like nobody's talking about that because, because we're talking about Baltimore being a, a <laughs> crappy city in the eyes of Donald Trump, who I'm sure has spent yeah. exactly zero minutes in Baltimore. That's I mean, right. I've been to Baltimore. I really like Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, and and it's. I would imagine Baltimore is not any different than any other major city these days when it comes to the problems that it has, because that's what you have when you have a lot of people in a smaller area, right? Like it's 
major metropolitan cities have certain problems. But apart from the fact that Baltimore, the section of Baltimore that the Maryland Seventh covers, I think it's the Mar- is the Maryland Seventh. It's a really I think nice it area too, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, but the whole rest of the district has nothing to do with what we see in Baltimore, good or bad. Yeah. The rest of the district mm-hmm. is suburban and rural, where there's farms and farm roads and farmers, and mm-hmm. you know, and just. I lived really close to Baltimore for a long time, and every time I went to go visit it, I had a great time, and yeah. and I I went there often, and I really liked it, and I think it's a, a beautiful place, and. You know, every every city has its problems. So it's like, but I, just, I mean, it seems to me that the salient questions always end up getting lost in these things. Like going back to Russia. I mean, what I would love to hear just once is one of these reporters asked Donald Trump. You know, you said you had no business in Russia, but you actually did have business in Russia. <laughs> What's the deal with that? And but yeah. no, no one's asking him that. Is because all these things. You know, you put it best, Jackie, years ago when you when you refer to it as the flooding of the zone when it comes to the. When, did I say that? Yeah, you did. You, that's uh, you coined that, and uh, you know. No, I that, didn't. Somebody else's. Stephanie, that Stephanie Miller, and I were calling it the fire hose of news, and I think Stephanie came up with the uh, tennis ball machine, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and all these things. But flooding the zone was appropriate, and it's, it just completely manages to bury those salient questions, doesn't it? Well, Where he's he, also got an interesting tactic that he does: is when somebody says something like, "You know, you said you had no business deals in Moscow, but we do know, in fact, that you were pursuing Trump Tower in Moscow," mm-hmm. and he turns around and goes, "No, we didn't." really have a deal I mean like maybe there was a piece of paper but like there wasn't anything that was definitive and I don't even know that we had a site picked out and but you did sir like we know that you actually had a you signed a memorandum of understanding or an agreement and you had a site picked out quiet 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 you're not quiet quiet I'm talking quiet like that's what he does and then the reporter's like fuck all like I like what am I supposed to do here and they don't you know, I mean, that's what happens as he talks over them. You be quiet. You be quiet. I'm talking. Here. Excuse me. Excuse me. Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. And then he doesn't watch it. He does it. That's his method is when he doesn't like what you're saying. He just says, excuse me, you're quiet. And the reporter just gives up because mm-hmm. there's nothing you can do to fight back against that. So that's the problem we have. And, and if you watch, he does it often. And that's how the, the information doesn't ever get out there. By the way, I am so uh, I'm so glad that you didn't try to do a Trump impression. Seems like everyone's got a oh, Trump impression. I don't impression. have one. Yeah, no, yeah. I don't have one. I just get upset. I, don't have <laughs> I love that you're like my biggest fan. That makes me so happy. Oh, well, I mother. am. Oh, my God. You say nice things about me. Well, it's, just, it's like every time I see your tweets, I'm like, uh-huh, yeah, exactly what Jackie said. I mean, you're we're, sweet. Thank we're you. We're on the same page on literally everything, Jackie. So, But thank, thank you, you so much for your time today. And it was so great catching up with you. And I, I, I definitely want to have you on again. I miss this. This is fun. Absolutely. It's neck and neck between you and Malcolm. Malcolm Nance as to who's going to be on this show more often, uh, the Ooh. the Wednesday interview show. So it's kind of a now there's a competition between Jackie Schechner and Malcolm Nance. I, I haven't counted the well, number. Malcolm of times. will win. No, he's got. I mean, he's got a bigger base than I do. Yeah, I'm the Marion Williamson to, uh, to Malcolm Nance's <laughs> Elizabeth well, see, Warren. But the one thing that you have to do to catch up with Malcolm Nance is he every time I talk to Malcolm Nance on the interview show. He's always doing something weird in the background at the same time. Like I caught him oh. one time; he was coming out of an airport and renting a car while we were uh. there. <laughs> Another time when he was hassling with his dog. It was always always fun to get a sense or a little bit of a taste of a domestic Malcolm Nance. I'll come up with something creative for next time. Well, thank you so much, Jackie. We'll see you on social media. Take it easy. Absolutely, my pleasure. Thanks. Bye bye.
If you enjoyed that podcast, I hope you'll check out my podcast. I want to be your Muslim friend with me, Dean Obidala, because I want to be your MBFF each week where I'm going to make you laugh while making you smarter right here on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network.